Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Disability Study Channel at New Books Network. Today, I'm happy. I'm Shuan, your host. Today, I'm very happy to introduce um, Doctor Mike. Sorry. McCaffrey to join us to introduce um, his newest book uh, about disability studies. The book title of this book is Taking Words in Learning Disabled Theater. So first thing I want to do today again is to invite Dr. McCarthy to join us to introduce himself to us. Thank you, Chu. Um, my name is uh, Tony McCaffrey um, and um, I work at um, uh, the National Academy for Singing and Dramatic Art in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, I also, um, since for about twenty years, have been the director of, <clears throat> excuse me, Different Light Theatre Company, which is a learning disabled um, theatre company uh, of learning disabled artists who devise um, their own performances. And my recent book is called Giving and Taking voice in learning disabled theatre and I'm also the um, <clears throat> excuse me co-convener of the performance and disability working group of the International Federation for Theatre Research. We've just had our conference this last week in Accra in Ghana. Okay thank you so much for your self-introduction so my last question for you is i want to invite you to to share us about a story like i mean the reason why you're taking interest in the promising field of disability studies yeah well this started about 20 years ago in in 2004 um and one of my ex-students um uh at the the degree program for performing arts at nasda the National Academy for Singing and Dramatic Art, um, she had started to work for the City Council, Christchurch City Council, um, for a network called Kiwi Able, um, which was looking at how to encourage um, disabled people to participate in various kinds of activities. There was a dance company called Jolt Dance, um, but there was no theatre company. So she invited me to um, come and give 10 weeks of workshops uh, for um, learning disabled people um, within uh, an institution called Hohepa in, in Christchurch. Hohepa is the Māori word for Joseph. Um, and I started these um, workshops not knowing anything about disability um, uh, or learning disability, um, but thinking that I knew about theatre. Um, but then by the end of these workshops, I discovered I, I really needed to rethink what I meant by theatre. And also, at the end of the workshops, I did not want to walk away. I wanted to continue to work with um, the learning disabled people or artists or actors that I had met during these workshops. So I, I gathered together um, some uh, students, undergraduates and graduates, and we, we started a theatre company called Different Light Theatre, and we started to um, put on, uh, produce performances within Christchurch. Uh, yeah, so that's how I'm, I'm in it. Okay, thanks so much for your answer. So now let's turn to your book. So for the, my first question for your book is that I want to invite you to talk about back-to-back theater 2019 production, The Shadow Whose Prey the Hunter Becomes. 
Thank you. Yes, sure. Thank you. Um, this uh, there is a chapter in the book which is kind of a, a, a preface or prefatory chapter for the rest of the book, which is uh, an analysis of this production. Um, I have been familiar with back-to-back theatre from Geelong in Australia since at least 2005, and I've seen many of their productions and talked to um, the artistic director and to the performers as well. And in 2019, the last performance, public performance that I saw before the COVID-19 pandemic affected things was this production, The Shadow Whose Prey, The Hunter becomes um, at um, Carriage Works in Sydney, Australia. And um, I was really interested in this production because in many ways it's a play uh, devised by the learning disabled artists about voices. There are various um, interpretations of voice within this production. Um, For a start, the, the, the actors play if you like, they play characters who have the same name as the actors. So Scott plays Scott, Michael plays Michael, Sarah plays Sarah, um, and they drop in and out of these characters at what is described as a public meeting. The whole play is a public meeting, but it's never explained what kind of public meeting. And obviously, in a way, it's another kind of public meeting because it's a a piece of theatre. So it's, it's um, uh, a public meeting in a theatre with actors and with an audience. Now, there's a lot of questioning of, like, who's running the meeting, who is in authority, who has the power. And there are various very funny um, um, kind of uh, ironic um, kind of discussions of who has the power. Then there are discussions about what the meeting is about, then there is the, the subject of disability, which is very, again, very ironically handled because um, the learning disabled uh, actors are also captioned. There are captions that run at the back of the stage that the audience um, can read and they arrive um, sometimes at the same time, sometimes a little bit after the actors speak. Um, And one of the performers at one point says, you can tell we're disabled because everything we say is captioned. Um, And, okay, that's something that Back to Back have used in the past because some of their performers have voices which are not physical voices, which are not incredibly clear and resonant as we are used to with actors. So it was a kind of an an aid for the audience. But by the time the company gets to The Shadow Whose Prey the Hunter becomes, it's a much more problematic, interesting and ironic use of captions. Um, Because in a way, captions kind of capture what people say, but they always, um, there's always more in any communication than just the words that are spoken. There's also the the, the kind of nonverbal cues, the physicality, um, the facial expressions, um, and all kinds of other things. Um, and um, at, at one point, one of the um, performers says, um, I, I don't want these captions. I don't want to be spat on and polished. And I think that's a really beautiful expression because um, we have the expression in English, spit and polish which means like you're polishing your shoes you spit and you make it you make them kind of clean um but um also to spit on somebody is to put them down it's a really offensive um action so the learning disabled performers feel both spat upon 
by the captions and also that their talking is polished into something that is acceptable for a neurotypical or kind of normate audience. So it's a very interesting um, discussion of what voice means. Um, And also in the piece itself, there's not only these captions, which sometimes capture, sometimes echo, and sometimes kind of mock the performers. Um, And so they encourage the audience to think about uh, what another scholar, Teron Schmidt, has called unlocatable speech acts like what happens between the intention to speak and the speech that emerges. Um, And also there are other voices um, in the piece, like the voices of common sense um, that the the actors kind of quote. Um, There's one section where one of the actors talks about why it's not appropriate to touch uh, um, another person without their permission. Um, And um, also you have the voice of like Siri, you know, like the Apple thing. So, so when they're in trouble, uh, somebody's having a panic attack or they, they talk to Siri and they say, Siri, what do you do when a disabled person's having a panic attack? And Siri obviously gives them a very unsatisfactory answer to that, just refers them to a website. So you have all kinds of different ideas and um, uh, kind of realizations of voice within um, uh, Back to Backs, The Shadow Whose Prey the Hunter Becomes. The title itself is taken from Jacques Lacan, which is kind of an interesting source for a play um, uh, which is uh, around learning disability. But it's about the mirror stage. It's about identity. That identity is a shadow that we kind of try and achieve, but then it kind of captures us. Um, so it's about the kind of the ego or the self. And that's, that's again, interesting in the context of learning disabled theatre because one of the big questions of learning disabled theatre is about agency, autonomy. Are the learning disabled artists um, uh, agential? Are they autonomous? Or are they um, being manipulated in some way by non-disabled theatre practitioners? And right now, up until now, over you know the history of learning disabled theatre, it's always a collaborative process between learning disabled artists and non-disabled um, facilitators, creative enablers, uh, allies, whatever you want to call them. Sorry, that's a long answer. Hopefully that gives some idea. Okay, thanks so much for your answer again. So my last question, for my last question, I'm going to invite you to talk about the first three public performances by different live theater after the company had been founded after initial theater workshops conducted at the Hohepa um, residential community in 2004. Cool. Thank you. So the first three performances were really examples of what might be called community theatre. Um, they were um, much more about the participation of the learning disabled artists rather than, um, you know, kind of uh, promoting their artistic um, or dramatic or um um, expressive um, capabilities. They were about trying to build community. And that extended to the audience, which initially was very much kind of um, families and friends and people who were interested in um, uh, the learning disabled 
community, if you like. Um, so we we did um, quite um, naive, uh, kind of mythical stories. We did a kind of version of um, Dr. Faustus. We did a version of the Conference of the Birds. Peter Brook, um, obviously, was very famous for um, producing um, a, a project on that. And we did um, a piece which was um, based on, on, on very loosely based on Dante and the Divine Comedy, um, uh, Hell, Purgatory and Heaven, in which we kind of explored what the performers' ideas of Hell, of Purgatory and of Heaven might be. So we were, there was a, quite a lot of comedy within it. There was quite a lot of physical theatre uh, within these three productions. And they were speak trying to speak directly to an assumed audience. Um, and they were really, I think, looking back uh, with hindsight, they were really about showing, um, okay, these um, artists have learning disabilities, but they can achieve certain things within theatre. So it's like, um, kind of here, see the talent of the learning disabled artists. They can um, learn uh, Romeo's speech, um, uh, but soft what light through yonder window breaks. They can be funny. They can um, tell a story. And it was just about some very basic theatre skills. But what we, be- what we became aware of as these three productions um, developed was that in many ways, um, community, as in, um, you know, the community, there's a, there's a temporary community which is formed in a theatre performance between performers and audience. There's a, there's a wider idea of community that we share similar experiences. Um, but what we were finding was that um, that's true up to a point, but there were things within the experiences of the learning disabled actors which maybe the audience didn't understand. And maybe we were playing to certain um, stereotypes of learning disability, of like, um, you know, people with Down syndrome being kind of loving and empathetic and cuddly and funny. Um, and um, so we were kind of putting out, in a way, um, quite positive images, um, quite user-friendly, audience-friendly images of learning disabled people. And we were kind of not so much looking at um, the difficulties, the anxieties, the frustrations, the contradictions in the lives of the performers. So it was kind of a, uh, I, I, this is a bit um, kind of, um, you know, of a put down, but it's kind of a, a cute and cuddly phase of development where we were very audience the performances were very audience friendly and assuming, totally assuming that the audience was non-disabled, which later we found out we, we you know, we needed to deal with that um, uh, kind of assumption. Okay, thank you so much for your answer again. So for my next question, I want to invite you to talk about how the company then proceeded on different paths of development. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I, I, I can do that. The next three productions that the company did were, in a way, in terms of content, more challenging. Um, so we were trying to deal with some of the frustrations and contradictions in the lives of the performer, performers that had become apparent in trying to put together um, a, a production in front of an audience. So um, the first performance was called Ship of Fools. It kind of coincided with my 
deciding to do a PhD in theatre and film studies as well, taking as its subject um, the development of learning disabled theatre, um, uh, looking at um, how that had, had come about since the 1980s. So with Ship of Fools, um, it was um, a production that also toured to Australia to a disability festival, disability arts festival called Awakenings. This was in 2007. And the idea of Ship of Fools was that... Um, uh, was taken, <laughs> dear me, from um, Foucault's History of Madness. Now, he refers in the early chapters to this um, Naren Schiff or Ship of Fools where people who were different were put on ships and sent around, you know, from, from location to location. But we kind of changed that to look at different ships with different fools in them. And the, one of the first ships we looked at were the ships that arrived in New Zealand Aotearoa with Captain Cook, um, and we had a, a, a sequence where um, uh, one of the performers with Down syndrome played Captain Cook and his and, and his crew, and they arrived in New Zealand um, and they discovered a country, but there was already a country there. There was already an indigenous population of Māori who'd been there for hundreds of years. So the joke was that he was discovering a country that already um, existed. We also looked at, um, there was a lot of um, um, uh, uh, kind of news stories at that time about various ships containing migrants or refugees arriving in different countries, arriving in Australia or being turned back. And so we had a section which kind of dealt with um, that phenomenon as well. And then we kind of broadened it to include um, the treatment of the different um, um, which included uh, a period of institutionalization when people who uh, were learning disabled were kind of institutionalized along with um, um, people with mental health problems um, in asylums. Um, and then we moved forward to the current kind of current situation, which um, in New Zealand and Australia we, we characterized as care in the community, which is um, taking people out of institutions, uh, putting them into community, but giving them, you know, hyper-medicating them, giving them de depot medication. And also, you know, if you're doing that, um, the, the end of the show is, is was the performers going, um, uh, you know, we, we're now released into care in the community and the performers asking, what community? What community? Where where is there a community? Because in a kind of neoliberal environment, um, the, 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 the urge is to autonomy, to, to being solo, to being, um, you know, alone. And so there is no real community. Um, the next show, I'll be very brief, was called Frankenstein's Children. In this, the different light performers um, uh, played a whole a group of scientists who wanted to create the perfect human being, a perfect human being who would have no disabilities um, uh, and no disadvantages. And obviously, as with the Frankenstein story, that went horribly wrong. And so various people were created, um, but they didn't, they were not human beings. And so um, it was a chance to um, um, use costume, to use sets, to have a kind of aesthetic of Frankenstein films about the production. And then we moved on from that because we uh, what we did in Frankenstein's Children as well was we used a lot of stage technology. So we had um, pre-recorded video, we had live feed video, we had um, counterweight flying, people flying in and out. Um, we had a whole load of like theatrical tricks 
that we put in um, to try to, I guess at the time, to support the performers. So we've been through a touring production and then a kind of um, hyper theatrical production. And the next production was called The Poor Dears. Um, and this title was taken from one of the performers who um, really hated being called a poor deer. Ah, poor deer. You know, he, he got that a lot. So he really objected to that. So we, we, we created a story in which, um, uh, which was about a learning disabled theatre company. So, uh, and that company was called, it had an awkward name. The name was We Are Not the Poor Deers. Okay, and this company called We Are Not the Poor Deers decided to travel to America, to the USA. Okay, and um, they went to um, um, border, border Patrol, and Border Patrol couldn't process them as We Are Not the Poor Deers, so they decided You Are the Poor Deers. Okay, so they became the opposite of what they intended to be. Um, now, the US um, that they were trying to get into was the United States was also US meaning us, meaning normal we. So there were various tricks and tests that they were asked to do by Border Patrol um, and in the end were rejected to get into the US or us. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that, that's kind of, you know, also within that production, we, we really explored for the first time um, the writings of the performers themselves, not just devised work within a rehearsal room, but people going away and writing scenes. And, um, you know, we incorporated those within the main narrative. Sorry, that's another long answer. Okay, thank, thank you so much for your answer. So for my last question, I want to invite you to talk about the shifting aesthetics and the politics of the group in and around the Christchurch earthquakes of 2010 and 2011 and the progress of the recovery. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, th these were major events for um, uh, Christchurch, uh, Otautahi Christchurch in New Zealand. We were um, working on a production of um, a version of The Wizard of Oz um, when um, the first uh, uh, and then the second quakes hit. They were they were major um, disruptions. Um, most of the theatre spaces were not able to be used after after the earthquakes. So um, we um, worked in various different ways. Um, we first of all we worked on a collaborative project with another theatre company in Christchurch called Free Theatre, and with Richard Goff from the Centre for Performance Research in Aberystwyth in Wales on a production called The Earthquake in Chile, which was done um, in and around an old church, a wooden church in Christchurch, because, as I say, most of the theatres were kind of damaged by the earthquakes. So we did a production based on Heinrich Kleist's novella, um, the earthquake in Chile, which was about another earthquake, the brief story being that um, once the earthquake happened, suddenly everybody got very um, kind of collegial, collaborative and worked to help each other. And that's what happened in Christchurch as well. As soon as these appalling earthquakes struck, people were out kind of sharing um, water sources, sharing food and barbecues, helping each other out in the initial stages. But then as the recovery started to happen, 
big government started to come in and took the recovery in um, kind of different ways. So the, the earthquake in Chile kind of reflected that. In that performance, which was a kind of site-specific and um, immersive performance in and around a church, um, the um, different light performers represented the guides who took people around the different locations around the church to um, a night market, to um, a long um, uh, hall with a table where people sat opposite each other and fed each other jelly with spoons and told stories to each other of the quakes. So the different night performers were guides. They were the guides of San Precario, the patron saint of precarious workers. Um, We, as the guides, me included, wore road cones on our heads that looked like um, like dunces hats, but they represented all the road cones around the city because of the damage. And we wore high-vis, high-vis jackets as well. So we looked like um, um, we were part of earthquake recovery. Um, and, um, yeah, that was, that was one response to the earthquake. Another response that we made was to make a much smaller piece of theatre with just three actors, um, uh, ben Morris, uh, Isaac Tate and Glenn Burrows. Glenn Burrows is a wheelchair user with cerebral palsy. Ben and Isaac are various kind of diagnoses of autism. And with this short piece, which was called, well, short, no, I mean small cast piece, which was called Still Lives, we took it to different locations. We travelled to San Jose in California to the Society for Disability Studies Conference. And um, they, the three young men performed um, a 20-minute version um, of this piece called Still Lives. Still was meant to be, we are still alive after the earthquake, but also still life like a painting, but also still not very interesting, not quite static lives that young men with learning disabilities often face um, in society. We then developed this to a 40-minute version, which we took to um, the University of Leeds in the UK, to the Performance Studies International Conference and the Ludus Festival. Um, so the, the piece was about the young men um, going through the experience of the earthquakes, but also the kind of, you know, the, the seismic shifts and the kind of um, uh, difficulties and um, shakes and, and cuts and shakes in their lives um, as young men trying to navigate a world um, uh, where they are socially excluded from a lot of things, from from meaningful employment, from um, kind of social life that they desired, and often from romantic um, relationships as well. So it was looking at these young men within the context of the of the earthquakes, but also you know um, um, looking at the kinds of um, struggles that they have um, whether there's an earthquake or not and then it also looked at some in some ways the recovery because the recovery um, the earthquake had affected everybody disabled non-disabled but the 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 recovery um, with a chance to build back a city that was accessible completely did not take that path so that things were built back still in the same old way of steps and inaccessibility and social exclusion 
So that was all all kind of caught up with that. Um, so yeah, there was a profound effect on on the company um, of the quakes. We had to um, abandon a production. We had to um, find new places to live and work. We then reinstated after the quakes. We reinstated that production, um, and we went in slightly different directions um, because of that kind of um, extremely disruptive. Um, um, but kind of almost creatively productive um, phenomenon of the earthquakes. Okay, thank you so much for your discussion about the earthquake and the process of recovery. So for another question, I want to invite you to talk about the shift in the practices of the company away from paid public performance in theaters and toward performance research. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, well, there are a couple of factors involved in this. Um, um, certainly, a big factor was um, the unfortunate um, death of two of the performers. Uh, one, one of the founding members, John Lambie, an absolutely amazing actor with Down syndrome, <clears throat> excuse me, um, who accompanied us to a performance in Sydney recently, um, um, was then diagnosed. He'd spent 50 years, five zero years, in an institution, a residential institution for learning disabled people. And I'd just been to a, a, an event to celebrate his 50 years. Um, you know, he'd been taken away from his family when he was quite a young child and spent 50 years at this institution. So there was a celebration. But then a few weeks after that, he was diagnosed with dementia and was moved from the institution where he'd been for 50 years to a dementia center um, about an hour's drive away from where you know, he had spent most of his life with most of his friends uh, and staff and whatever. Um, and he only lasted a few weeks before he died there because he was completely taken out of his environment. The other person who, who died at around that time was an amazing uh, woman called Louise Payne who had joined us um, uh, when we were doing a kind of separate but kind of related project on the history of the lunatic asylum in Christchurch called Sunnyside. Um, she had been a patient there for a number of years. She had suffered some fairly horrific abuse within the New Zealand psychiatric system, and she was coming out of that and working with us within different light. But she died rather suddenly um, because um, she was had a, a lifelong history of heavy smoking, um, and she died within weeks of, of contracting or um, a diagnosis of lung cancer. So we had Louise, and she was incredibly important to us because she was quite a politically active person. She, um, in 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 you know the non-performing times of the company, she would take people to um, political demonstrations for the Green Party here in um, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and really was a kind of like a glue that was holding us together, and we didn't realise that. So we became very aware of the mortality of the company, the performers, and, you know, what it was that we were trying to do. At the same time, we were um, coming into contact um, quite a lot, and, and we were so grateful for it, with the um, American or American-German disability activist and artist and scholar Petra Kuppers, who had come to New Zealand, and she was working with us on various beautiful kind of site-specific performances, eco-performances within the, the amazing New Zealand landscape. Um, so we were also, we had no theatres. 
We were going out into the streets with petrocoppers. We were going out to um, estuaries and beaches and areas of great natural vegetation with Petra. And we just, we were kind of exploring what it was, what performance might mean um, without a theatre. So, And then, you know, we, we kind of extended that to um, looking at what the performers understood by performance um, and what they got from what, what it was that, that performance gave them. And that, that made us, in a way, a lot more self-reflexive about what, what we were doing. Um, and I think that was what led us toward um, more a, an in investigation of performance research, of what me performance means, rather than just, let's put on another show. Let's put on another production. I hope that answers your question. Okay, thank you so much for your answer again. So now for our last question today, I want to invite you to talk about the response of the company to human parts of the pandemic. Yeah, no, that's that's a great. Thank you, Shu. Um, yeah, so as another kind of stage in the development of the company, um, when COVID um, happened, and I referred to the fact that the last public performance I saw was um, in 2019 in Sydney, The Shadow Whose Prey the Hunter Becomes. The last public performance before the pandemic that Different Light performed was in the Christchurch Arts Festival, and it was called The History of Different Light. And it was looking at the then 15 years of the company and um, performers talking about their experiences, um, a certain amount of um, recorded video of performance, and then the performers um, responding to that in real time. Um, so we were already starting to look at the history and the nature of, of what what we were doing. And so in the pandemic, because New Zealand had a very severe lockdown, really, and, and you know, credit to the Prime Minister, the then Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, tens of thousands of lives were saved in New Zealand. Tens of thousands, because we locked down so hard and so fast. But that meant, obviously, that, that I was communicating with the different light performers through Zoom, through, um, you know, online means. So we were developing projects online. Um, and as these things went on, we were um, invited to um, uh, a conference um, in Helsinki in Finland, um, Performance Philosophy Conference, because we were part of a, a, a bigger group looking at um, disability and performance philosophy. So the performers were able to put together um, a video contribution to that conference and also to themselves appear live at that conference um, through Zoom and to answer questions. And that was a really great experience for the performers um, and um, for their development as um you know, as artists, if you like. Um, we also were invited by a group in Athens to appear at a meeting of learning disabled theatre companies online, including Theater Hora from Zurich and Switzerland, um, Kream from Brussels, um, Blue Apple from the UK, Hijinks from Wales, and Different Light from New Zealand. And um, we met up and um, people involved in the creation of performance and the artists themselves were able to have um, dialogue uh, online. And, and that was that was great. So for the two, I mean, <laughs> online um, meeting and online performance is very, very different, obviously, to um, live performance in front of an audience. So it kind of um, has different challenges. It has different um, advantages of access 
and disadvantages of access, because not everybody is ideally suited to talking in the moment of a Zoom call and, you know, the kind of slightly delayed response, the taking away of human contact that it, to a certain extent it um, uh, necessitates. So it made us kind of rethink uh, what do we mean by theatre, what do we mean by communication, um, yet again. And so um, eventually we, we went back to a live performance last year, at the end of last year, 2022. We were invited to close the um, Australasian Drama Studies Conference at the University of Auckland, and um, we put together a performance which involved some Zoom, um, some recording, and some liveness. And the live element was really interesting because it had been three years since the performers had performed live. So I, and they were very nervous. So we introduced the whole performance with a getting to know the audience, where I just introduced the performers and the very responsive audience um you know, uh, welcomed them. And then during the performance, we, we had a section where the performers invited the audience to dance with them. Um, and we closed with another dance because it was about just making human contact again after this period of, you know, fairly uh, mediated online contact. So right now, the performers are working on um, yet another version of Dr. Faustus, but with degree students. For the first time, there will be like 20 performing arts degree students and eight, sorry, nine learning disabled performers. Um, We're calling it Faust Us, so F-A-U-S-T, full stop, U-S. So it's like, again, what we constitute by us. And the, the premise for the production is Faustus sells his soul to the devil in exchange for 24 years of whatever he wants. Our argument is that we are selling the planet in exchange for very short-term gains. We are selling the future of the planet, um, and that's becoming obvious. And, and, um, you know, that um, in terms of the planet, that disabled people, learning disabled people, make really valuable contributions to an ecology, a planetary ecology, not necessarily an economy, to make money, but certainly an ecology of of difference, of diversity, and of, you know, very um, interesting, different ways of thinking and being in the world. Okay, thank you so much for your answer again. So, thank you. And anyway, thank you at the end of the talk today. I want to I want to say I very appreciate your presence in our, I mean, episode today. So, at the end of our episode today, I want to talk to my audience. So, hi, my audience, hi, um, my dear listener. I very, I very, as a, I mean, as a disability scholar, I personally very appreciate the, the process of reading Dr. McCaffrey's um, book, Giving and the Taking voice in learning disabled theater. Oh, while I'm disabled, no, I'm, I'm, I want to say I, I identify myself as disability historian instead of a scholar of disability performance. Uh, sorry, I mean, disabled theater and performance. But I want to say I really learned a lot about the fantastic research. So I want to say for anybody with interest in either theater study, disability study, performance study, I can't really, it's, I highly recommend you consider buy a copy. 
copy of Dr. Michael Free's newest book, Giving and Taking Voice in Learning Disabled Seizure, which is a I was one of the best research, best monograph in this promising field of the disabled performance and the field study. So thank you so much for listening to our episode, podcast episode today. Thank you. Thank you.